0: I had this scooter when I was in the ninth grade that would get me around. And uh, it was called the company that made it, the the model was called the Jog. And uh, the reason it was called that is because if you were jogging, you'd just kind of like blow right past me uh, on the road. And uh, anyway, so I was on the football team when I was in ninth grade, and uh, we were practicing, and it started to rain. And so what took place was is that the coach decided to just kind of call the practice cuz it started to rain. And in the kind of rain that you only know, like when you live in South Florida, like the 4 o'clock in the afternoon, every day during the summer kind of rain. So the kind of rain that you think the world's coming to an end. Well, anyway, um, so it starts raining. Coach calls practice. We go into change and all that. I come out. It's still raining. So I put on my helmet, get on the scooter, and I'm driving home. And now when you're on a scooter, it's not like in a car. There's no windshield wipers. So, like, I'm in there, so I, you kind of have to do, like, the manual windshield wiper. So you are kind of get one arm, and then you're going like this with on with your, uh, you know, with your helmet. And so I'm kind of, I'm, I'm driving. And um, anyway, so, I mean, it's raining really hard. And uh, the car in front of me stopped short. But because it's raining so hard, I wasn't able to stop short. Well, I take that back. I was able to stop short, but that was only after I hit him. I mean, it actually came to a complete stop right after I hit him. Um, but the problem was is that he didn't even realize that I had hit him. You say, well, how do you know? Well, the way that I know is that after I hit him and my scooter kind of fell over the, the handlebar the, the kind of the rubber grip part of the handlebar hooked on to his fender. I it's like a 1970s, like Buick or something, you know, it's the old school car. And so it, it kind of hooked on and, um, he just kept going and I'm there Still attached, and uh, and so I'm he's driving, blood, all this stuff, and so you might be thinking, how did you get him to stop? Well, I'm kind of laying there, and I was able to kind of just like push my body up enough to start banging on the hood of the car or the trunk of the car. So I start banging on the trunk of the car. Well, he finally says, "Whoa, what's that weird noise?" So he stops the car, pull, you know, like pulls over. I'm still attached, mind you, and then he finally. Then he gets out of the car, and I'm like, "Like, hey, what's up? How's it going?" And uh, he's like, "What happened to you?" He kind of tells me the whole. I tell him the whole story of what happened, and uh, you know, anyway, uh, the jog was not much more than a limp after that. Uh, it was about like 10 miles an hour it was going. Um, but the the, the issue is this: is uh, I don't know if you've ever been there. I think that all of us have been there. Uh, now I don't think you've been there like coming home from football practice. You hit a car and it drags you down the street on your jog scooter. If you have. Come talk to me because uh, we need to start a club or something or at least a group on Facebook, like the people who have been uh, didn't have been that. You know. Anyway, so we, we have that that whole thing. And um, but we've all been in the situation where we don't think things can get worse. And then they do like, you know, it's, you're, it's raining. That's bad. You know, it, it, depending on where, where you're at. But then it gets worse. Like you got to drive in the rain, but you don't have a car. You have the scooter in the rain. Then you hit the car. That's bad. Then you're getting dragged down the street in the rain, on your scooter, that gets worse. And here's the thing. If you're a Christian, we have a word for that. That's called a trial. Like, oh, I'm going through a trial right now. That's what we say. And and the thing is, we all recognize that those are moments. There are these moments when we experience the difficulties, the problems, the pressure, the temptations, the tribulations, whatever you want to call them, but they're essentially trials. And we all experience them, but the, the difference is, is how we respond to them. I mean, what do we do in those times? Do we buckle under the pressure or do we hang on until help arrives? And so the thing about trials that's so important is, is that trials have this way about them. They have a way of strengthening and building our faith like nothing else can. What do I mean? In fact, in your notes, and I hope you're, you're following along in your notes, here's what the book of James has to say. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I want you to think about what he says there, that what trials do is that it actually creates this opportunity that when we get on the other side of them, our faith is mature, our faith is strengthened, our faith is complete in a way that nothing else could do to get us to that place, to get a, uh, to cause us to have a faith that's mature, that's complete, that's not lacking anything. Well, just a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, we started a series, it's called It's the End of the World as We Know It. And the thing that we've been doing is working our way verse by verse through the book of Revelation. And in fact, one of the things that we've been saying is that the book of Revelation is not a difficult book to understand. That's because the only book in the Bible that comes to us with its own divine outline, found in chapter 1, verse 19. And here's what it says. It says, uh, Jesus says to John, he says, I want you to write the things that you've seen, the things that are, and the things that will take place after this. Now, the things that are, that refers to chapter 1, Jesus seeing the glorified, risen Jesus. And so John sees that, and he says, I'm going to write that down. But then the things that are, what are those things? The things that are refer to the churches, the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. And then he says the things that will take place after this. The Greek word there, Metatauta. What does that mean? After these things. That's why it's translated that way. And then chapter 4 shows up, and what does it start with? It says, after this, after these things, John is taken up to heaven and shown everything that's going to happen that's going to happen to our world in the future And he writes now what's happening in the rest of the book and what culminates in the return of Jesus. And so Revelation is not a difficult book to understand as long as you understand the divine outline. But we find ourselves working our way through these seven letters written to the seven churches in chapters two and three of this book. And one of the things that we talked about, and I'll give you a 15-second review of what we talked about last time, is that... There's really four major applications as we talk about these seven churches. Now, the first is that there was what's called the near application, that they're written to a specific church at a specific time. So Ephesus was written to a church that was in Ephesus. Smyrna was written to a church that was in Smyrna, etc. There's also a general application, and that is that there is an application that refers to all churches at all different times that we can glean and learn from. There's also what's called the prophetic application, and that is that each church that's mentioned here represents a specific period in church history. And so we have that opportunity. We're going to talk about that as well. But then there is the personal application, and that is that we can learn and apply to our lives what Jesus is saying to this church at this particular time. These words can actually come off the page, come into our lives, and we can see what God can do. Now, the thing that's important for us to know is that the church that we're going to look at today is experiencing major difficulty, major trials, major persecution. And what Jesus does when he writes the letter to this church, he simply commends them. Now, usually what takes place in, in most of the letters is that Jesus will commend what they're doing, and then he'll offer a critique. And he'll say, now here's what you're doing, but here's some tweaks that you need to make, or here's some overhauls that need to happen so that you can get to where I ultimately want you to be. But this church is going through such a difficult time that what Jesus does is He says, Listen, you're doing great. I know that you're suffering, but keep on and be faithful. And the reason is why. And the thing is that it's only when we're under pressure. It's only when we're experiencing the difficulties in life that we realize what we ourselves are made of. We realize what is the makeup of our relationship with God. What is the, the reality and the depth that we have in our spiritual life and in our walk. So what we're going to start is, if you have your Bible, it's going to be in chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 8 to this letter. Here's what we read. It says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews, but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of the things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil's is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, and he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, the, the thing that happens is this, is that most of the time when we think about, man, I'm under pressure, I'm having a problem, we only look at the negative aspect. And what I want to do is kind of focus on what Jesus is focused on when he's speaking to this church that's going through a time of difficulty, a time of t- trial, a time of tribulation. What he does is this, is that he says to them, he, he says to them, listen, there's actually some benefits of you being of you going through the season of difficulty at this time. Now, it's difficult for us to imagine when we're going through a tough time to say, man, isn't this great? But remember, what we read in James before, where he says, consider it all joy. And, and it's not because of the trial or because of the difficulty, but because of what the difficulty and trial produces in our lives. So I'm going to look at these three things in the time we have together. And it's the first is this, that there is growth under pressure. There's growth under pressure. Now, what do I mean by that? Let me explain it this way. Have you ever had this where um, you have, uh, like, you smell something and that smell, like, takes you back 20 years, right? Like, you smell something, like, man, now every time I smell that, I'm in, like, the third grade and we're on a field trip and we're going, you know, you you, you ever have that? Well, I have this friend that, um, and I've known him forever, that just refuses to eat ketchup. Like, and my thing is, like, how un-American is that? Like, you don't eat ketchup. Anyway, so, but, you know, so, like, he eats, like, hamburgers plain. I mean, it's just, like, a horrible existence he has. Um, but he doesn't eat ketchup, and uh, the reason he doesn't eat ketchup, and by the way, oh, I forgot to mention this, he doesn't let people that he has meals with eat ketchup either. That's part of his thing. Um, needless to say, him and I don't eat together much. they like, oh, you want to eat? No, I ate before I came over. Anyway, so, because I eat with ketchup on everything. Anyway, so what happens is this, is that, uh, the reason is, is because when he was, and this is this whole thing, like, you know, why don't you, and then every, every time someone asks, like, all of his friends are like, oh, you didn't go there. Like, so he tells the whole story. He's in the first grade and he's wearing a white shirt and he gets ketchup on it. It's like ketchup everywhere. The teacher won't let him change his shirt. So the whole day he's like weeping and whatever, you know, in a ball, in the fetal position, crying, and he's got ketchup all over his shirt. So every time he smells ketchup, he's. In the first grade, weeping in the fetal position—you know the whole thing—and I tell him, like, you know, there's a way to cure that. And he says, "Oh, wow!" And I said, "It's called intense counseling. That's what cures that, uh, or shock therapy. We can try either, um, but it'll, it'll, it'll fix you." But here, here's the thing. Now, here's why I mention that. The church, this church, is, he says to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Now, Smyrna is is the city that that it, this uh, of the church that it was written to. But the thing is this: is that Smyrna. The word comes to us from the root word of myrrh. Now, remember one of the things that I said, if you remember last time, I said each of these letters to the seven churches, the very name of the city that it was being written to speaks to what the letter is about. So when Jesus writes the last church we looked at last week to the church at Ephesus... Ephesus is a word that means darling or beloved one. And what is the issue that Jesus speaks to them about? It's love. You, hey, you've, you've left your first love. So he speaks to this church, Smyrna coming from the root word of myrrh. Now, the, the myrrh is an interesting fragrance because it only releases the fragrance when it is pressed or crushed. And so this church is going through this pressure, this crushing type of tribulation. And so he, so Jesus writes to them because they were experiencing extreme persecution. Now, as we talk about like the prophetic application or whatnot of this, uh, we, we talked about how last time the church at Ephesus represents the church from about 33 to about 100 A.D. This church represents a period of time from 100 to about 312 A.D., And this is a time of, like I said, intense persecution when over three million Christians were killed, were martyred for their faith in Jesus. Now, it's why Jesus says, I know your tribulation. He says, "I know the difficulty that you're going through, but see, it's even more specific. We translate the, the original language, the word in, in Greek, as tribulation. We like, hey, I know the drift, the difficulty you're going through, but the word is even more specific. The Greek word is the word thlipsis, and don't try to say that ten times. Um, but it's T H L I P S I S, and this word thlipsis literally means to press or to crush." And so that's the idea is, he says, I understand that you're under pressure. I understand that you're feeling crushed. But just like myrrh, that's what it takes for the fragrance, for the aroma to be released. Now, here's what the first Peter would say. He says, beloved, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. You see, that's the question. And the question that we ask and that people ask is like, well, why does God even allow these trials, these difficulties, these problems, this pressure, this crushing to come into our lives even in the first place? Well, it's because these times of pressure, these times of trial produce something that nothing else can it produces a perseverance and a genuine faith that nothing else can produce you see let me explain it this way Um, after about a hundred years of missionary work of people moving um, from all over the world after a hundred years of missionary work in China there was about 800,000 believers people who had come to faith in Jesus whose life God was changing and it was an exciting thing and that's not bad 800,000 people after 100 years of work. It's not bad. But then in the 1940s, the communists took over, became the People's Republic of China, and everything changed. All the missionaries were kicked out of the country. Um, the church was forced to go underground because they had none of the advantages that we have. I mean, think about, you know, um, carrying a Bible uh, became something that wasn't, that wasn't even legal. There were very few Bibles to be found in China uh, at the time. And I mean, think about, you know, we, we don't even realize. So, How many of you brought a Bible this morning? Now, see that? Look at that. Look at that. This is the, these are the spiritual group uh, of, of the bunch. They're carrying their Bibles around. That's good. It's important. You learn a lot. You write notes um, as you hear the messages. But here's the thing that's really important is that think about the kind of freedom that we have to carry a Bible. Like, we don't even think about it. Oh, I just grabbed my Bible. I threw it in the car. I came over here. Listen, there are countries in the world where just carrying a Bible in the street will get you arrested. At the very least, in some countries, it will get you harassed by the police because they think that you're going to incite some kind of riot uh, because because of your beliefs. And so the issue is, so I want you to imagine now, communists take over 1940 and they just start cleaning house. They kick all the missionaries out. No more Bibles, no more books. I mean, you know, all, all of this stuff is out. And, uh, you know, so there's no radio. There's no, you know, TV that has any kind of like, uh, you know, Religious programming, there's no books, there's no CDs. I mean, think about this. We go into Barnes and & Noble and there's like a whole section for Christians, right? There's like hundreds, if not a couple thousand books just that just like at our disposal if we want to grow and learn and grow in some depth or knowledge or whatever the case of any any subject that we want. Well, they had none of those things. The church goes underground. Um, they have nothing to rely on except the Spirit of God working in the lives of people. Well... Forty years later, China opens its doors. China has now over 100 million believers when they open their doors. And you say, "Hold on, let me see if I get this right." They started with it was kind of like America. Hey, you want to have, come on? Hey, you know, come to church? Come on, do you want to know Jesus? Hey, here's a Bible, whatever.
1: 800,000
0: people after 100 years. It's not bad. Then the persecution sets in. After 40 years, there's now a hundred million, and you say, "How did that? How does that happen? How does that work?" It's because these tests, these trials, this pressure, this crushing times that come into people's lives produce something that comfort can't do. Uh, a couple of months ago, I started working out with a trainer. Most of you would say, "Really, I had no idea," um, and. Uh, And 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 what happens is this is that um, you know one of the things that that I've I've learned as I've you know been in this whole process is is that if you want your muscles to grow I mean you've got to put them under pressure I mean you've got to put them under pressure you've got to rip them you've got to rest them you got to rip them you got to rest them you know you got this this whole process and 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 the thing is is that you know I mean I feel like I'm I'm getting a lot stronger than 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 I than I have been but you know but the, the the issue is this is that rest alone comfort alone can't produce what. What pressure can produce it can't produce endurance. It can't produce strength It can't produce perseverance Only pressure can produce that now. I'll be honest with you. I wish that wasn't the case Like you know how I want to grow and build muscles. I want to watch someone else Like here's I mean if they had this as an infomercial, I'd buy it like do you not want to go to the gym anymore? I want you to now buy this, you know special box put it on your TV, and then as you watch the ESPN strongman competition, now all you have to do is sit on your couch, eating popcorn and drinking lemonade, and as you watch them, your muscles will grow. So you can imagine. And then, you know, these strongmen. The strongman competition is awesome, because these guys have to, like, rip tires with their bare hands. They have to eat through a piece of wood. I love it. Um... So you watch it, but you can imagine that you're just eating popcorn, chicken wings, cotton candy, you know. But during all of that, but you're watching this and then you feel this. You know, you start looking like Arnold, you start sounding like him. Well, all these economic girly men, you know what I mean? It's like, now you're huge. I mean, all this stuff going on. And then you're like, man, I wish I could do this just by watching. But see, it doesn't work that way. As much as I wish it does, it doesn't. It doesn't work that way. Sometimes it only takes pressure. It only takes these kind of trials that then begin to produce something in us. There's another thing, number two, in your notes, there is not only growth under pressure, there's also revelation under pressure. What do I mean? What do I mean by that? There's revelation, revelation under pressure. What I mean is, is that during times of trial, there is something revealed about us. We find out what it is that we're really made of. That's why Jesus says, hey, listen, you're going to get thrown into prison. All this stuff is going to happen and you're going to have persecution, tribulation for 10 days. Now, scholars kind of vary as to what that means. And some say that this, these 10 days refers to 10 waves of persecution that came over the church. And that's certainly possible. But one of the things that I told you when we started this study in Revelation is I said that the book of Revelation is nothing new. And that's kind of my bold claim. There's nothing new in the book of Revelation that everything that's revealed here is also spoken of in the Old Testament. And so there's really only one place where the idea of 10 days is brought up. And it refers to this very thing that Jesus mentions. Now, now let me tell you this story. Um, it's 586 BC, and the people of God, Israel, have really walked away from the Lord. They didn't really want to follow God. They were kind of doing their own thing. So God says, "This, if what you want to do, that's fine. But I'm going to just if you don't want me to be your king, then I'll have somebody else, some other nation, come in, and they'll and they'll they'll be your king. Well, that's exactly what happens. The Babylonians come in and they just level the walls of Jerusalem, which is the protective barrier around the city. And then they just kill a bunch of people. And then they take what they do is and this is really what's germane to the story. They take all of the princes. They take all of the up and comers, everybody who's smart, all the people that would, you know, get, uh, you know, admitted to like, you know, MIT or Harvard, all these kind of people. They take all of them back to Babylon and they say, if these are the smartest people, we're going to train them in our ways now. What happens is there's this guy by the name of Daniel. Daniel is there with uh, three of his friends, uh, whose names are Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, um, who later are given the names, those, those are their Hebrew names. Then they're given um, Babylonian names, which you might remember, which are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or as I like to say, Meshach, Yershach, and Winnebago. Um, and so what happens is, is that they now get taken into this basically three years of training. They get taken into this three years of training, but here's what happens. They get told that they're going to be trained, but they're going to get this great honor. And the honor is they're going to get to eat the royal foods, the royal delicacies. Now, there's only one problem. The problem is these boys are Jewish, and some of this Babylonian food is not kosher. Now, what happens here is that you can imagine the difficulty. The difficulty is, you know... Daniel has probably seen hundreds, if not thousands, of his, you know, countrymen killed. He's been carried off to Babylon against his will. Now he's being told he has to eat this food that's not kosher. And a lot of people might think, well, you know what? Maybe this is just one of those times to kind of bend the rules a little bit. Maybe it's one of those times to, hey, you know what, that's what I want. You know, it's not really what I would normally do, but maybe this is just the best way to do it. I should just kind of, you know, went in Rome, as they say, and, I, you know, do as the Romans. So I went in Babylon, do as the Babylonians. And, you know, even though it's not kosher, I mean, you know, is bacon really going to kill me? Um, should, you know, shouldn't I just eat a pork chop or two? Is it that bad? And, uh, and so this is where the problem is. And so now he's experiencing this pressure. And the idea is, is he going to buckle under the pressure? Or is he going to allow this pressure to make him stronger and to create and to do the work that God wants to do in him? Well, in your notes... I put these verses in Daniel that I want to tell you. It says this. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief officer for permission not to defile himself this way. Then Daniel said to the guard whom the chief officer had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance to what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. And at the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. Now think about that. The, this time, that's what this whole idea that Jesus brings up of ten days. You're going to be tested for ten days. You're going to have tribulation for ten days. Because after this time, if you will follow through. If you will make it through these 10 days, people are going to see what you're made of and that what you talk about on the outside, when things are good, people are going to see is serious and for real on the inside when things are happening. Now, let me explain it this way. Um, Now, I forgot my mallet. And so I was going to do this whole comedy routine I saw where you smash this watermelon, but I forgot it. So forget it. but anyway, so let me ask you this question. Um, how many of you have ever purchased a banana in your life? Okay, 75% of us. Apparently, some of us are not into fruit. That's okay. Um, but see, I'm going I'm to go ahead and say this. I am going to bet that none of us have ever purchased a banana, that we've actually only ever purchased banana peels. You say, well, what do you mean? You see, I'm guessing this. I'm guessing that when you have gone to the supermarket and you say, oh, what do you need? Oh, I need to grab a bunch of bananas that you've never actually peeled one to make sure there was a banana inside. Well, no, nobody. How do you know? Well, nobody does because there's always a banana inside. There always is a banana inside. You just kind of take that on faith that there's a banana inside. You didn't think someone like stuffed this with like yogurt or some other, you know, or like whipped cream or something or no, there's always been a banana inside. And here's why. It's because you've come to understand that everything God makes, he makes with integrity. Now, here's what the word integrity means. Integrity is a word that it comes from the word integer. If you're a math person, it means something, a whole number. Integrity means wholeness. That is, that what's advertised on the outside is still true on the inside. And so you can peel this banana, and you know what you're going to find? A banana. Because every time in your life that you've peeled a banana, what you've found is a banana. Anybody want a banana, by the way? I mean, uh, I'm going to throw it I, in the first service I threw. I mean, I threw like a fastball and some girl was like, what's up? So anyway, there's one missile coming at you. There's one. Anybody all the way in the back. There we go. I like creating a frenzy in our services. Um, so anyway, now here's what I also mean. Now, OK, how many of you would like a watermelon? OK, slow down. Now here's the thing, here's the thing that's very interesting about watermelons. Uh, how many of you have picked up a watermelon in your life? You are like a watermelon, a sewer, or something, right? Um, now, how do you know a watermelon is good to go? What do you gotta do? You gotta knock it? And what, how, what does it sound? Sounds, now, hold on. You guys, you guys seem, you guys seem like very rational people. And you're trying to tell me, I brought my machete with me, cause who goes anywhere without a machete? Um, Um, what you're trying, what you're trying to tell me, um, so you're trying to tell me is, is that when I knock on this and it sounds like it's empty, hollow, it's actually ripe. Now, see, that doesn't really make any sense to me, but for whatever reason, um, we will, Hey, will you look at that? And, um, Amazing. You see, we, uh, we just have this understanding. The understanding is, is that even if it sounds hollow, we know that there's something inside because everything that God makes, he makes with integrity. That what's revealed on the outside, when we open it up, the same thing will be taking place on the inside. And that's what happens when there's pressure, when there's crushing, when there's a trial, when there's problems. What God is seeking to do is... What we're advertising on the outside is the same thing that's taking place on the inside. Anybody want a watermelon? Um you do have to come up. I'm not gonna throw it at you. Um, so going once, going twice, all right, same with me. I uh, we'll take a bite though. Oh, it's good too. Um Wow, it's really good. I should have brought napkins. But here's the thing. Sorry, I'm like I'm kinda doing this here. But you know what it also does? These, these trials, this pressure, it also reveals who isn't for real. That's why it's a revelation. There's a revelation uh, when we're under pressure of who is for real, but who isn't for real. That's why Jesus mentions this group and he says, there's those who say they are Jews but are not, but are actually a synagogue of Satan, which obviously is a play on, term, a play on words. And what was happening was this, is that the Jews were under tremendous persecution as well during this same period of time. But th- what they were doing in this time in history is that they were trying to deflect their, uh, their persecution onto the Christians. And so what they were saying, they were trying to incite the Romans and saying, hey, leave us alone, go, you know, sick them, you know, take care of them. And, and what they were doing was they, they were saying, well, you want to find out what's going on with those Christians because, you know, they're cannibals. The Christians were cannibals. Yeah, because they're always talking about eating the flesh and drinking the blood. That's the true story. This is this is once again, I didn't make this out of a history book. Um, Why? Because what were they doing? They were saying they misrepresenting what we talk about when we talk about communion. They were also uh, talking about uh, they were misrepresenting a word that Christians use this word agape, a word that means unconditional love. And so they said, well, you know, these Christians, they're very immoral. Well, how do you know? Well, because they said they have agape love. Well, you know what that means. Wink, wink. You know, and so they were causing tremendous persecution on them. And so what Jesus does is he commends them. He tells them to persevere, to be faithful, and then it's over. You're like, well, what's that all about? I mean, nothing more. I mean, out of all the letters to the seven churches, this one is the shortest. And it's simply because he just offers encouragement and comfort because encouragement and comfort doesn't have to be that long If you've ever gone through a real difficult time in your life um, you, you didn't really necessarily need someone who was going to come up to you and give you like a 20-minute speech about uh, You know the, the whole everything that's gone on What you want to hear when you're going through a difficult time is hey, I want you to know I'm here for you If you need anything, uh, I'll be there That's an ancient jewish practice There's an ancient jewish practice. that's called sitting shiva and what that means is and um Shiva is, is a derivative of the Hebrew word shiva, which means seven. And what that means is, is that if you had someone, a friend uh, or a family member who lost a loved one, what you would do is the, the, that person's closest friends would go to his house or her house and they would sit with them for seven days and not say a word. They would just sit there. And as they would sit there and they would weep when they wept and they would laugh when they laughed. And then after seven days, then they would begin to talk and dialogue and work through this whole thing. But the idea was, listen, I don't even have to say anything. I just want to, you to know that I'm here. And listen, that's, it, it, it reveals it. when you're going through a difficult time, there's a revelation of who those who really are friends and those who are more of acquaintances are. There's a revelation of the people that you're really close to and the people that you aren't close to. There's a third thing that I want to, a third benefit. There's not just growth under pressure, revelation under pressure. There's also life under pressure. There's life under pressure. Um, At the turn of the century, uh, that is the last century, around 1900 or so, um, there were fish suppliers were having problems getting codfish uh, to the West Coast because, I mean, how can you live life without bacalao, Um, you know, Uh, I I certainly can but apparently some people can't um, but anyway, so they're having problems shipping Uh codfish to the west coast So they were shipping them and they got there and they were rotten So then they tried freezing them but when they got there they had been thawed out and they ended up being mushy and so they tried to um, you know send them alive, but it didn't really work out But then they made these tanks Um, and and they said well, here's what we're going to do. We're gonna do a little different this time We're actually in the tank Where all the codfish are, we are going to put one catfish, the mortal enemy of the codfish. And so what happens? It arrives. Remember, turn of the century. This is a train ride. This is about at least a week to 10 days to get from the East Coast to the West Coast. And what they found was this. When they got there a week later, the codfish were alive and well. Why? Because they had been swimming for their lives, trying to stay one step ahead of the catfish. And that's exactly what these, what trials can do, what pressure can do in our lives. If we don't crack under the pressure or break under the pressure or buckle under the pressure, we can find life under the pressure. Because that's what these trials do. They give us a life that's worth living. Jesus says in verse 10, he says, hey, be faithful and I'll give you the crown of life. The Greek word there is Stephanus, which um, is, actually refers to uh, the victor's crown. If you remember, have you seen like old ancient pictures of like the Olympics? They'd get like this wreath that they'd put over their heads. That's what it's referring to, is this crown that you would get for winning something like, like the Olympics. The Apostle Paul would note that, and he would say this in 1 Corinthians, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. But see, the issue here isn't just that they're going to get a crown to wear around. You know, like, you know, hey, you're going to get this really awesome gold hat. You know, that, that's not really the issue. The issue is, is that the life that they get to live would be the crown. And that's really what, what's so important. And so as we think about it, I want you to think about this for a minute. I want you to think about what pressure you're under. I want you to think about maybe you're under some financial pressure or family pressure or some career pressure or peer pressure or whatever kind of pressure. Listen, the idea is this, is that if we will persevere through that pressure, it will create in us a life that's worth living. A life in us that as we look back, we may not like it. We may say, I hate this and I wish it were over. But when it is over, we're going to look back and say, this has made me stronger. And it's made my faith more mature, complete. And it's made me someone who perseveres more than I ever would had I not experienced this previously. You see, if we don't get buried under the pressure or buckle under the pressure or crack under pressure, and we instead have grace under pressure, what we'll find is that we become the people That God wants us to be and have the character, the attributes, and the integrity that God wants us to have. You know, I've been praying this week because I felt like right here, I'm like, man, I want to kind of illustrate this point with something. And I'm like, and I was praying. I'm like, God, just remind me of something that happened in my life when I was like 12. Because I don't really want anything new, no new pressure. Just give me like some old pressure that I can kind of mention and then kind of continue. Well, here's kind of – God didn't listen to me, and that's a pretty common occurrence. Um, But but here's what happens is that uh, my wife and I are actually leaving tomorrow um, for California. Um, uh, Some of it is a vacation. Some of it is – I've got – as some of you know, I have this book coming out next month. And so I have – I'm kind of starting my little several-city tour uh, that I'm doing. So I'm going to be doing uh, teaching in Los Angeles um, uh, next week. And so what I had with this, the good thing about writing, the, writing a book is that you don't have to, like, have all these notes written out. Uh, what I have was I have, like, these student notes, kind of like what you guys, what I give you guys, except it's, like, 25 pages for this, you know, several-hour seminar. And, and what happens is instead of writing out all these notes, what I did was I said, here's what I'll do. I'll just take a copy of the student notes, and I'll just jot down, jot some notes for myself to be able to, uh, just like some talking points that will be able to work me through each point as I'm, as I'm going through the seminar. So um, – Anyway, so I don't have it on my computer. I just had a hard copy, put it in a file. I'm like, not going to lose this. I've got it ready for when I go to California put it in my briefcase. So I'm kind of getting this whole thing together. And so on Thursday, I'm, I'm there in the office, and I'm, um, I can't find those notes. And I'm like, wow, that's kind of weird. Uh, you know, the seminar is in a week. And, uh, but that's all right. I'm, I probably left it at home. So I go home, uh, and and then so Friday I'm there, and I'm like looking through my everything. I go through actually every sheet of paper in my office at home, no notes. So then I think on Saturday, you know, I need to probably go to – I need to go back to my office at at church and really look through my papers and find it because I must have left it there. I go to church from there this morning uh, pretty early, and so I'm going through the notes. I'm going through my, my papers, no notes. And then I'm just kind of – I just think to myself, what happened? I had the notes. What happened the last time I saw them? And then I kind of have this image in my mind of, like, what happened. uh, Someone comes into my office and is talking to me, and I have all these papers. And there's a few papers that I'm throwing out and a few papers that I'm putting in my uh, folder to take with me to California. And then I have this image in my mind of what happened that I took – the papers I was going to throw away and put them in the folder and I took my notes and a couple other papers I needed and I put them in the garbage. And then I'm sitting in my chair at my office and you ever have one of those moments where you're like, oh, it's like, you just feel like, wow, someone just punched me in the gut right now. Um, and then, and I'm like, oh Lord, what am I going to do? And I just, you know, you ever have one of those moments where God is, you know God's speaking and it's like, hey Bob, is that enough pressure for your illustration? Um, so you got you have a several-hour seminar that you have to rewrite the notes for in three days, um, and, which I hope no one is listening to that's going to be there because, like, hey, I'm going to the seminar. Guy doesn't even know what he's going to say. Um, but anyway, but I'm thinking, like, wow, I am really under pressure. And then I call my wife because she, call, she calls me and says, hey, did you find them? And I'm like, bad news. I threw them away. And, and she says, uh, well, yeah, that's not good. Um, and and so but then she says to me she says, you know You ever have this she says, you know that used to happen to me all the time in school Like i'd lose my notes and I'd have to rewrite them And she said every time I did that I'd always memorize the material more and when I had to give a presentation I do even better than if I had the original notes And I thought maybe that's exactly what god wants to do God wants to do something even greater and it was gonna It was gonna have to force me to be under some pressure to be able to to, to, to do this and the thing is this is that Nobody likes it at the moment. Nobody likes it when they're, when they're going through it. But when you're going through the real trials of life, and I mean, this is just a bunch of notes that I'm going to be able to reproduce in a day. But when you're going through the real tough times in life, there's these truths, there are these things that, that, you, that, have, that you've kind of anchored your life to. And that's when you find out how strong that anchor really is. The Bible says this uh, in the book of Genesis. It, it tells a story of the promise that God gives a guy by the name of Abraham. And the promise is this, is that he's going to be the father of many nations, that the whole earth is going to be blessed through him. Here's the problem. He's 90 years old and he has no kids. Like the whole earth is going to be blessed through your kids. Well, I'm, and this is the conversation he has with God. God, you want to bless me? You want to make me this father of many nations? But I don't have any kids. I'm 90. My wife is also a senior citizen. So we're kind of like past the whole "Hey, we're going to have kids" era. And so, what am I supposed to do now? And God says, "Listen, but I'm going to give you a son, and you're going to, and he's, and and, and through him, uh, you're going to be the father of many nations." And here's what the Bible says. It's in your notes. It says that Abraham believed God, and it was accredited to him, accounted to him as righteousness. You see, I talk to a lot of people, and here's, and here's what a lot of people talk, tell me. They tell me about, you know, I, I believe in God. But you know what the Bible says about Abraham? It says that Abraham believed God. And my friends, that's uh, there's a big difference. There's a big difference between believing in God, I believe God's there, and I'm kind of doing my thing here. And then there's a difference between saying, hey, I believe in God, but I believe God. You see... When a person believes God, they believe that God is good, they believe that God is just, and they also believe that God knows best. No matter what's going on, as difficult as this is, God really has a purpose for all of this that's taking place. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when he was in prison, knowing that he's going to lose his life for his faith, here's what he says. He says, I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him to that day, until that day. You see, you're going to find out if you believe God, not just believe in God, if you believe God when the trials of life come our way, when the pressure is coming our way. And listen, if you're in a place where you say, man, I believe in God, but I've never believed God. I've never asked Christ to come into my life. I've never asked Jesus to forgive me. I've never taken that step of receiving God's forgiveness in my life because of what Jesus did then listen, that's the reason that you're here. That's the reason you're here. It, it could be there was some pressure in your life, and you're like, man, I just want to know some answers. I want to understand what's going on a little bit. But here's the deal. The reason that you're here, if you haven't made that decision, is for that very purpose. Because listen, to know God, to grow in our relationship with God, is the very reason that we were created. It's to know Him, to walk with Him, and to experience God. That, that's, that's the reason that you and I were created. And if we don't know God, if we don't believe God, then we're living outside of the reason why we were created. And that's why things aren't working the way they're supposed to work. And so, as we close, maybe I've been talking and you've been experiencing pressure. Maybe you've had all kinds of pressure, all kinds of situations going on, all kinds of problems, whatever it is. Work, maybe it's uh, your home, maybe it's your family, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's the lack of a family or kids, whatever it is. Whatever it is that brought you here is the thing that God was using to say, hey, we have we need, we need to start. We need to take the first step. And if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, then that's the first step of saying, you know what? Jesus came into this world and died for every sin, every dumb thing that I've done, every dumb thing that you've done, every sin that we've done. And because of that, Because of that, that's where we begin, by entering a relationship with him that God offers all of this to us freely, to all who would ask. And if you're here and you say, you know what, I've never made that decision. I've never come to a place where I said, you know what, I want Jesus to forgive me. I want to walk with God. And I want to know that whatever pressure I'm I'm under, what's going on, that God really has a purpose for it. And if you're here this morning, the, very, the, the first purpose is to get us to this place so that we could make a decision, so that you can make a decision to say, I'm, I, I may not even totally understand this, but I'm going to take the step. I'm going to take the step and invite Jesus into my life and watch what God will do. And I know for many of us, there's, there's in a room this size, there's many of us that want to make that decision this morning. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to close in prayer, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Now, the prayer that I'm going to have you repeat, it's not a magic formula. It's nothing like that. But maybe the words that I have you repeat will express what your heart is seeking to say, but maybe you don't quite have the words to say. So if you're ready and are in that place, let's pray together. And God, we want to thank you so much for this opportunity. God, whatever it is that brought us here, we thank you and we ask right now that you'd reveal yourself to us. And Lord, for those of us that that haven't made a decision to follow you, God, I just pray. I pray that as we take that step, that as many here who say today is my day, today's the day I'm going to make that decision, that you would hear from heaven the words that are spoken and answer right now. Listen, those of you that want to make that decision, I'm going to encourage you to not just repeat this prayer, but repeat it out loud, because here's what the Bible says. It says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, it says you'll be saved. So if you're ready, just say out loud, just say, Dear God, I open my heart, and I invite you in. I ask that you forgive me of all I've done wrong. I thank you for Jesus, who died for me, that I might have life. I want to walk with you, starting today, forever. In Jesus' name, amen.